0: Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 5, of Providence, Paragraph 4 The almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God so far manifest themselves in his providence that it extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men, and that not by a bare permission, but such as has joined with it a most wise and powerful binding, and otherwise ordering and governing of them in a manifold dispensation to his own holy ends, yet so as the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who, being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approver. Of sin, Christians, for all of human history, have pondered the issue of evil. It is, according to some, the mystery of iniquity. Where does evil come from? Did God make evil? Did he create sin? Is sin an invading force that has marched its way into God's good and perfect creation that he has not been able to do anything about? In later chapters of the Confession, we will deal more fully with this issue, but today in this paragraph, we begin to think about the mystery of iniquity. As we deal with this great mystery, paragraph 4 begins by reminding us of God's wonderful wisdom. We read that the almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness of God manifest themselves in his providence. As we tread on holy ground here and mysterious issues that are beyond our comprehension, it is good to start in this place. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 11 and verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! Paul is clear. God is not like us. His ways are beyond our imagination, and it is a good reminder as we begin to consider this mystery of iniquity. And so with that truth established, the Westminster Vines tell us that God's almighty power, unsearchable wisdom and infinite goodness also extend even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. Reformed Christians believe that sin is not an invading force that God cannot do anything about. We see here the truth, both mysterious and wonderful, that God is sovereign over evil. His providence extends even over sin, even over the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. Revelation 12 and verse 4 tells us that when Satan fell from heaven, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. We believe that this is a reference to the angels who fell with Satan in that fall, in the angelic rebellion. Scripture does not tell us much about that rebellion, but here the Westminster Divines stress that God's providence even extends to that rebellion, to the first fall of sinful humanity, and even to the sins of angels and men. R.C. Sproul makes it clear, if God had not ordained it, The fall would not and could not have occurred. We must dispel the image from our minds that God was pleased with his creation and suddenly an outside force trampled all over it without his knowledge or consent. Instead, we must wrestle with the notion that the fall was ordained by God. It couldn't and wouldn't have happened, as R.C. Sproul correctly says, without his permission. This might seem like a startling truth and one that perhaps you are not familiar with and initially it might seem incredibly strange to you. But actually it is an encouraging truth. There has never been a point in human history where God has been removed from the throne and at no stage has evil trumped him. At no point does sin make our God go on the back foot. His providence, based upon his almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness extends even to sin. And we see examples of this all through Scripture. We see in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 1 that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go number Israel and Judah. And in First Chronicles 21 and verse 1, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. The Westminster Divines give us this example and Chad Van Dixhorn explains it in this way. He says, God used Satan's deceitful ideas and David's sins in order to punish the people of Israel for their own wickedness. To us, it may seem complicated. To God, it is all part of a perfect plan. And this is the reality even in the very beginning when Adam and Eve sinned against God and when angels fell from their heavenly position. To us, it may seem complicated that God would ordain it this way. But to God, it is all part of his perfect plan. There are examples all through scripture of how our God is sovereign over evil and how even though evil men might plan one thing, the Lord has ordained another for his good and his glory. In 1 Kings 22 and 22 to 23, the Lord declares disaster for Ahab by using sinful lying spirits in the mouths of false prophets. And in 1 Chronicles 10 and 4, Saul's reign as king in Israel comes to a close by his own sinful decision to commit suicide. But perhaps the greatest example of this comes in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ, which we have mentioned before in this podcast. In Acts 2 and 23, we are told that Christ was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and yet he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The actions of sinful, lawless men are used by God to bring his providential plan And in Acts 4 and 27 to 28, we read, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. It was God's plan to crush Christ for the sake of his church. And he providentially ordained the actions of evil men to bring this purpose to pass. So as we work our way through this paragraph, we see that it is true to say that God providentially orders sin. He permits it. He is sovereign over it. And even the ways of evil men ultimately serve God's holy purpose. But this truth is not just by a bare permission as the paragraph continues. Acts 14 and verse 16 says that in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. However, whilst this is true, the Lord does not just let things happen. His bare permission is joined with a most wise and powerful bounding. Or in other words, says the confession, evil cannot run rampant. Evil will never overthrow the Lord. Evil has God-ordained limits. In Psalm 76 and verse 10, we read that surely the wrath of man shall praise you. And in 2 Kings 19 and verse 28, we see the Lord speaking against the king of Assyria. He says, "...because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come into my ears." I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. The king of Assyria was allowed to go this far and no further. And this wasn't by chance or an accident, but the Lord had providentially ordained this. He had given the evil of the king of Assyria permission, but it was also joined with God's wise and powerful binding. And a famous example of this bounding comes in Job chapter 1 and verse 12, where the Lord speaks to Satan about his servant Job. The Lord says, Behold, all that Job has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God providentially allows Satan some leeway in his servant Job. Satan's evil schemes are providentially used by God for Job's good. However, Satan is not allowed to do whatever he so pleases. Even Satan is limited by the Lord. He is bound by the Lord and we see that Satan is not the Lord's equal. As we look throughout human history, it is easy to find examples of this bounding. In recent memory, there was the Second World War, where the great evil of National Socialism in Germany, the Nazis, were rampant for a time. I do not know, I cannot say for sure, why the Nazis were allowed so much leeway, but we are thankful to God for his bounding off them and their ultimate defeat in 1945. We could repeat that story time and time and time again through history. And so as we wrestle with this mysterious truth of God's providence even over sin and evil, we should also be comforted by the fact that evil will always have its limits. Evil cannot win and ultimately evil is going to be defeated. The paragraph continues by saying that God orders and governs these sins in a manifold dispensation, or in other words, in a multitude of ways. Chad Van Dixhorn says that God sometimes limits sin, and other times he permits sin in a varied, complex administration or arrangement. We wrestle with this constantly. We see evil getting the upper hand in the world. We see the result of sin everywhere on this globe, on this planet that God has made for us. And at times we, in our own sin, can point the finger at the Lord and shake our fist and demand he answer us. Why? Why have you allowed this to happen? In my own life and in my own ministry, there have been moments where I have asked God that question. Why, Lord? Why have you allowed this? Why have you ordained things to be this way? Oftentimes when we feel like this, The answer never seems to come. However, we know that the Lord is good and we know that he can be trusted. And the Westminster Divines here say that just as God orders and governs sin in a manifold dispensation in a multitude of ways, sometimes adding limits to it and sometimes using it in a variety of ways, he always does this to his own holy ends. I do not understand God's ways. Certainly, as we have begun this podcast, so it is true. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. But we know and we can be sure that however history is unfolding and however it is that the Lord providentially limits and rules over sin and evil, It is all to his own holy ends. His ways are perfect. He is just. He is good. And finally, as this paragraph comes to a close, a very vital pillar in this whole discussion is raised. It is true to say, as we have already discussed, that providentially God permits and governs and rules over evil and sin, even the sin in the very beginning and to this very day. However, we must always be abundantly clear. We must always raise the final pillar of this paragraph, that God is neither the author or the approver of sin. The Westminster Divines rightly state that sinfulness proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who, being most holy and righteous, does not author or approve of sin. We see this important truth laid out for us in the book of James. In James 1 verses 13 to 15, we read, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth Death. The Lord does not make you sin. Just because he has providentially ordered and governed over evil and sin, he cannot be pointed to to say, the Lord made me do it. I had no other choice. We sin because we are sinners, not because God has told us to. The Lord cannot approve of sin. He hates sin, despises sin, and will punish sin. The original sin and fall, and indeed any sin that has just been committed, has not come from God's pen. He is not the author or approver of sin. In verse 17 of James 1, James makes it clear. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Our God is not in shadow, he is not of darkness, he is light, he is true, he is good, and neither does he author or approve of sin. John says in his first letter, in chapter 2 and verse 16, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so, in closing, we raise these two columns. Firstly, that God's providence extends itself even to the first fall and all other sins of angels and men. God rules over evil and sin and he orders it and governs over it in such a way that his own holy ends are brought about. But the second pillar is just as important as the first. God is not the author nor a prover of sin. Some have argued that these two pillars contradict themselves, but let God be true and everyone else a liar. These two pillars are raised in the pages of Holy Scripture. As Joseph once said to his brothers, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. At times the plans of God might seem to us to be strange. Perhaps we think that he has done things in a way that we never would. Why does he not just click his fingers and bring an end to all of this evil and sin? My friends, we are not God. His ways are not our ways and the understanding of all of these things will never belong to us. But we know that whatever evil abounds in this world, And we know that whenever evil and sin touches our own lives, our God means it all for good. To bring about a people for his own possession. R.C. Sproul uses the example of Judas Iscariot to give us understanding. Judas, says Sproul, who betrayed an innocent man for his own personal gain, intended something altogether wicked, selfish, and abhorrent. He had bloody hands. And yet, through this act, atonement is made by which we are redeemed. Judas' wickedness redounds to the greatest good that has ever occurred, not by his design, but by the secret design of God. Friends, as we close today... I lay this before you. If God is not sovereign over evil, if God's providence does not extend to the fall and to the sinful actions of both angels and sinful humanity, then run, run and hide. Run and call for the mountains to fall down upon you. For humanity will only get worse And evil will only grow in strength, and you will not have seen anything yet. But thanks be to God, for today as Reformed Christians, we believe that God is indeed sovereign over evil. He permits it for a time, he binds it and sets its limits, and one day he will bring it to a close. May the Lord strengthen our faith and help us to trust his providential ways. As we close today, here are some questions for you to answer while you're sitting in McDonald's. Question 1. When we discuss this mystery of iniquity, why is it good to remind ourselves of God's almighty power, unsearchable wisdom, and infinite goodness? Question 2. Why is R.C. Sproul correct when he writes, If God had not ordained the fall, the fall would not and could not have occurred. Question 3. Why is this an encouraging truth? Question 4. What is always joined with God's permission when it comes to sin? Question 5. What is the second pillar of this paragraph, and why is it so important? And finally, where does sinfulness proceed from, according to James, in James 1, verses 13-17? to That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn, and until next time, this we confess.